Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's <laughs> Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Brian Kelly, Mark Tepper, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, Nordstrom plunging on earnings and hitting its lowest level in nearly a decade in the after hours. We'll bring you the latest, plus the bears, they're out for Tesla. A top analyst at Morgan Stanley says the worst case scenario for the stock could be as low as 10 bucks a share. Yep, 10 bucks. What could take it there? We've got the details. But we start off with the, We're also going to talk to that man you just saw, by the way. Um, we start off with the markets rebounding today as the U.S. temporarily eases restrictions on Chinese tech giant Huawei. And if you think you've heard this story before, you're right. Because despite all the recent volatility and headwinds facing the markets, the S&P 500 is right back to where we started at the same level we were exactly two months ago. So is this truly a stock picker's market now? And if so, what should you be buying, Tim? This is our wheelhouse but stock picking. Wheelhouse. By the way, our producer's playing some Steelers wheel stuck in the middle with you. Um, mm-hmm. Jerry Rafferty went on to a great solo career. So what would you story. be picking here um, in a world where story, so much right. stuff has <laughs> sold off below the surface? So we spend a lot of time talking about semis, and we talk about some of the things they're most exposed to trade. Um, first, I, I need to start with U.S. Steel because it's a stock I was more bullish on um, higher up, and this is a stock that's been destroyed in this last month, um, essentially the extra leg down. Here's what we've learned from management recently. We got kind of some post first quarter guidance. Uh, and, and bottom line is actually the flat rolled segments actually increasing somewhat. U.S. has seen a small deceleration, but the key for these guys is going to be CapEx. People typically would be worrying about a steel company's balance sheet during an economic downturn. So that's that's a name I really like. And, and I know this may sound counterintuitive as we, we go to kind of you know war with Asia on everything right. tech and otherwise, but Tencent. So we talked about Bob. I'll leave that for, for somebody else. I, I think Tencent, it's arguably the world's most important tech incubator. Uh, as we talk about gaming and as we talk about all the other dynamics of social media in that part of the world. I don't really see why Tencent is caught in the middle of a trade war. So if you're a stock picker based upon valuation, Tencent looks very interesting to me. Stuck in the middle of you, by the way, is like the anthem of my life. Yeah. Um, oh. but, but going back going back to stock picking, I don't True. know if, if anybody out there watched Squawk Box this morning. Thank you. Um, and saw our friend Savita Subramanian of Bank of America Merrill Lynch, the strategist, she was on saying, People don't care about macro people like me anymore. They want stock pickers because of what is going on. What what well, is this backdrop? So we started in? with saying, you know, despite all these things, I would argue it's because of all these things that we're in the same place. We've seen this pattern for two months now. You get these big proclamations about a tariff or a rate cuts or rate hikes or something like that, and then they walk it back, and the market just oscillates back and forth. So in this type of period, you want to have stocks. You want to have a stock picker. You want to be both long and short. So if we're just talking about the long side, look at the stocks of a decent relative strength. I mean, what is strong right now? The U.S. economy is relatively strong compared to the rest of the world. So you look at something like MasterCard and Visa, levered a bit to the consumer, uh, even though we saw some retail stocks fall today, their growth rates are still fantastic in this environment. Stocks are going bottom left, upper right. They're very, very strong. Yeah. Mark? So there's a great opportunity in Alibaba right now. I mean, that stock's down probably 10% uh, over the last two months. A lot of concern just because it's one of the biggest weightings in the emerging market index and people have been selling that off because a lot of investors don't want to own it right now. But basically with Alibaba, you have the opportunity to own Amazon, actually a company that's growing faster than Amazon at a fraction of the valuation. So I think it's a great opportunity to really play the rise of that Chinese consumer and you're buying at a discount. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. So and another stock we're looking at right now is Twitter. So Twitter kind of on the flip side is up 15 percent over the course of the last couple of months. Uh, and we are we're we're pretty sure that uh, user engagement is going to be strong, at least through the 2020 election. I think that's safe to say. Um, and, and because user engagement is so strong, that's really helping to offset a little bit of slowdown that they're experiencing with user growth. 
you know, when you're seeing the relief that's happened twice now, we had the relief in terms of the tariffs over in Europe with the autos, and now all of a sudden we get this extension now with Huawei, right? So I think that's part of this whole thing too, right? I mean, that's the real story here to what your point was in terms of there's storylines that, that force us down, then there's storylines that pull us right back up. Look at how the semis today just absolutely were screaming to the upside. Apple, the rest of the techs, we're all just screaming to the upside. After yesterday, it looked like they were done for good. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So we, we're right where we were, and yet the volatility in this little segment has been really, really amazing, Mel. I mean, we're talking about 23 back down to 16, back up to 21, back down to 15. I mean, we have been everywhere. So I think it's going to continue to be very volatile. I think that we're still going to be this news. That's why I do like Twitter as well. But I'm going with a name like KMI. And the reason I say that is they are just so disciplined. And oh, by the way, uh, Richard Kinder just bought another 300,000 shares just a week ago again to add to his buys that he does, it seems like, every couple of weeks. He just continues to buy back. I love the discipline of this company, though, because think back to 2015, they had a dividend of $1.93. They had to cut it. And they have been, since that time, adding back to it. Very disciplined. I think they're doing all the right things. And that's one of these names that I love. I Actually, that, that was a pitch is, along that is, if I If you had stopped, and that's why I'm in... I would have never guessed Kinder Morgan. I right. thought after your whole spiel about technology and how it snapped back and this and that, that yeah, you'd well, they're going to be volatile, a, though. Certainly named a it, semiconductor stock. Right, and, and KMI just did another 52-week high today. Right. So I, I, I like the semis. I love Apple. But Pete, I think I, let me ask you, because yeah. I, I agree yeah. on Kinder, but you, you, you talked about, hey, look, uh, they were down yesterday. There's always something to bail you out on the headline. But, but to me, do you really think we're getting a solution on trade war anytime soon, especially right. with the headwinds we're facing? I, I, look, they were oversold. I, yeah. I get that on semis. I'm not sure you can make an argument that there's a, a headline waiting for them again tomorrow or the next day or the next yeah, day. Yeah, but we've bought time. I mean, I think that's what we're seeing here is this negotiation process where we are buying time. We bought 90 days when we we're talking about the tariffs yeah. with the autos. We bought another 90 days on this. So it gives us time to maybe do the quote-unquote negotiating mm-hmm. that supposedly right. we hear about behind closed doors all the time. We hear it constantly, right? Somebody's meeting with somebody. Is she ever going to actually sit down with Trump and then actually try to hammer something out? No. Maybe, maybe not. So you say no. I, say I think no. that they will. I just don't know what the no. time frame is. I, I but think they, the time frame is two time. years. I think the time frame is till after the election. For the election. And I don't think right. the market's pricing that in. So as, as as much as we're talking about what to buy in this in this environment, I don't wouldn't want to minimize the fact that I don't think the market is pricing in a prolonged trade war. We're getting these incremental headlines and news stories forward. It moves the market up 1% or so. But again, we're going sideways. And that to me is a sign that the market is starting to digest this news, and eventually it will begin to price. That in sounds a trade bullish. War. Huh? I mean, that sounds kind of bullish. It. It, well, if the market is digesting this news, it seems to me if something okay. is digesting and holding, right. holding serve. Maybe, I, maybe indigesting <laughs> is what I. Yeah, I could be, we could have a blow off top where the market says, "What? Everybody's going to come to the U.S. It's the best place to be." But at some point in time, when the market understands that this is going to be a prolonged trade war, uh-huh. then you've got before problems. that time, though. Before yeah. that time, do you put together a basket of trade exposed stocks and say, "You know, what? I'm going to short these guys," or "I'm going to nah, position myself in the You know, I, the market I think lower. right now the trade is to more just play this undulation of headlines, right? So wow. when it really looks horrible and they're saying, you know what, we're never going to we're never going to uh, have any agreement and all these trade-related stocks go down, buy them because you know the next couple days they're going to have another headline that says we're backing off a bit. So look, I think a trade deal gets done before the end of the year. Uh, just like I said yesterday, I think this is creating a lot of noise, a lot of good buying opportunities. And the year's six months away. 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I think it's likely be a lot it's of, done before the end of the year. But, yeah, a lot of volatility. A lot of time yeah, between now Right, and lots of ups and downs, lots of opportunities for investors to find good entry points. Uh, we like software. We like medical devices. We like Constellation well, brands. Let me ask you this. If the trade war does not, I mean, if it's not resolved in six months, and let's say it is much longer, does that change the way you look at your stock picks right now? It doesn't because our, our okay. uh, time horizon is a little more intermediate term. Mm-hmm. So we're not as in and out on a daily basis. So, no, our strategy is to identify those companies now and get in yeah. while we can. Same I, I think if, if we look at the allegory that we saw during the last kind of roll back the clock nine months on this, uh, you see the U.S. outperform for a moment. Um, and for a time until it doesn't. Uh, the other dynamic here that you have to consider is the dollar. Dollar, di- dollar index goes over 98 today for the first time uh, all year and the first time in a long time. And if you look at the dollar chart, it's probably one of the best charts you're going to find. Um, slow and steady wins the race. Whether we have some type of a credit event on the back of slower global growth um, or we just see a flight to quality, that is a, a, a risk for the market that the dollar moves higher. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think I'm a dollar bull at this point in time. I think we go much higher in the dollar and ultimately down the road, it does ca- cause a crisis. But in the me- first part of this is going to be everybody saying, everybody I'm talking to is saying the U.S. dollar is like the Swiss franc. It's stable. Mm. It's strong. The U.S. economy is strong. Everybody wants to buy here. Watch what billionaires are doing. They're buying real estate here in the U.S. That process has to go through. That's going to push the dollar high. That's really interesting because I just was at an event not long ago with Mike Wilson from uh, Morgan Stanley. He absolutely said the exact opposite. He thinks that the dollar has peaked. He thinks the dollar's going lower, and, and he, was talk, he talked a very bearish game in the longer term in terms of the markets. He thinks that they can continue to mull around where they are, as he's talked about for a long time, this grinding process. Yeah. But he ended up being very bearish at the end of the day in terms of where does he think the market's going, in particular, where's the dollar going. He felt like it was going to slip. And that's not where you stand, is it? It's not where I stand, but I was, I, I was willing to listen to him. I right. thought it made a lot, a lot of what it's he was nice saying was, was very was sensible. Nice. Well, you know, it was, it, everybody's got their opinion. Open-minded. I would say this, too. The trading environment's been phenomenal, Mel. I mean, I think it's been unbelievable. Oh, the and volatility and the volatility yeah. has absolutely delivered that. That range I was talking about, 15 to call it 20 even. Mm-hmm. I mean, the opportunities to buy at 15, sell towards 20, buy at 15. Right. And I'm talking about individual names here. I took off over 30 names in the last three days on my positions because it just finally was the opportune moment. Because this is a trading environment. Everything's been very, very short-term. I have some long-term plays, sure. but I absolutely, all the short-term stuff, I literally, I think, took off half of it. Wow. All right. Well, st- stocks continue to swing on trade headlines. Our next guest says the volatility is creating opportunities to buy. Let's bring in Scott Wren, senior global equity strategist at Wells Fargo. Scott, great to have you with us. Hey, Melissa. Um, when you say this is creating an opportunity to buy, is that, is that uh, impacted in any way by your view of how long it'll take for this trade war to be resolved? You know, really, we we felt like we would see some trade positives over time. I'll have to say that, you know, based on what's happened the last couple of weeks with uh, whether it's Huawei or whether it's uh, uh, just the kind of a temporary breakdown in talks, uh, that time frame's extended out there. And probably the eventual deal that we end up with, maybe it's not as good as the one that we initially anticipated. But I think really for the market, uh, to really work its way higher, 
you know, we don't need the perfect deal. If we get some kind of deal, uh, tariffs go away, the threat of additional tariffs go away, uh, we have a few other things in it. Um, you know, it needs to be more than, yeah, we're going to buy more soybeans and cars, but uh, I think the market would like that. So what we're mm -hmm. trying to do, uh, we took some money off the table. Uh, we took a little risk out of the portfolios after the big jump after uh, the Christmas Eve low. So in early April, we lightened up a little bit there um, as far as net exposure. But we're still leaning towards sectors. You know, we like industrials. We like tech. We like consumer discretionary. Uh, we stuck our toe in energy after being underweight for a you know, years basically. So, you know, we're leaning in a way towards some upside here, uh, but net net, we're a little neutral. Uh, I think playing the range, you know, you look down at the 200 day moving average, right. uh, you look down a little bit lower than that. I think that's an opportunity if you have the outlook that hey, we are eventually probably going to get uh, a trade deal and the U.S. economy is not going to fall apart. We'll chug along and you have some, you know, stabilization in the global economy. Let's say I gave you two scenarios, though, Scott, and one scenario would be that we resolve this trade war dispute, let's say by the end of this month, and the other scenario is we resolve it in a year and a half or two years. Would those sector picks change in either of those uh, scenarios? I think we'd say, I mean, if, if the sooner it happens with this trade deal, the quicker we're really going to continue to like those particular sector picks. Um, if it takes longer, year and a half, longer than that, you're going to have a lot of volatility where you are going to, uh, you, know, we're, you know, just like uh, you guys have been talking about today, you know, it's the headline of the day. Uh, a good headline, like we saw uh, <clears throat> today, takes you higher, gives you a, 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 a chance to lighten up on those. Uh, bad headlines, take you down to uh, technical support um, you know you're either you're either hopefully a little light down there and you're picking up some uh, some more cyclical type of things or uh, um, you know you want to hold in and 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 you know you don't want to take your losses at the technical uh, support level so it depends the longer we go without a trade deal mm -hmm. uh, I think the the more murky global growth is going to be uh, and that's not going to be a th good thing for the market or for cyclical sectors Hey, Scott, so you sound a bit lukewarm here, and, and I understand where you're coming from. I'm curious, how does the presidential cycle play into this? Because as I look at it, it seems to me you've got the stock market president who wants to get reelected, will likely do anything to keep stocks higher. Does that fit into your analysis in any place? Well, I, you know, we think about that. We're not thinking about it. It's not in the top five things that we're thinking about, but certainly we're right on the cusp of, of just like any presidential cycle where you start to see some things, uh, the incumbent party tries to do some things to continue to boost the economy, continue to make uh, the overall economic environment look good. Uh, that usually you know, is certainly helpful uh, when it comes around to the election time. So I think that's a part of it. But right now, um, we would say with the Federal Reserve likely off the table here, we're not looking for cuts and we're certainly not looking for hikes this year or next year. Um, you know, the worry is global growth. The worry is these trade negotiations. And I think that is the key to what this market is going to do over the course of the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Scott, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Go Blues. <laughs> okay. Yeah, why not? Nice. A little NHL nice. hockey. What do you yeah. think about that, Mel? Are you yeah, going to be watching? Sure. Yeah, for oh, yeah. sure. When, what time is that? <laughs> Come on. Um, okay, so, so we started the show with saying this is Stock Picker's Paradise. Then we have our friend Scott Wren on, and who's talking about sectors. How should we square this in our portfolio? If we're saying it's a stock picker's environment, and yet we're thinking about things in buckets like sectors. Well, and, and Scott indicated uh, industrials and tech were some places that they were relatively confident, and, and yet those are very 
very cyclical. Um, uh, you know, he talked about energy. I, I think energy is, believe it or not, somewhat defensive here because for the first time in probably five years, the market really is responding to supply disruption dynamics. Obviously, Iran's a big part of that. Um, and frankly, we haven't downgraded at least oil demand that much. So I, I like the energy call. I still think that the positioning in the sector is underweight. Um, and I, I, I believe that the industrials have been overly kind of uh, in, you know, implicated in this trade war. And I think there's valuations there that are defendable. So uh, it looks like one of their picks is consumer as well. So within consumer, I think you've got good areas and in bad areas. So retail is an example of something that's just completely getting clobbered right now. Whereas you have uh, some like home improvement retailers looking a little better, home builders looking great right now. Uh, so there are some areas within each of these sectors that are doing better than others. So you know what I heard from Scott, though, is that he's not he's saying rotate from sector to sector, right? He's saying don't take your losses at the lows in tech, hold them and they're going to rally up. Then you might want to sell those. I think that's completely consistent with being a stock picker's market. So if you just take a look at the macro from the top down, you want to pick your sectors and then you pick your stocks in there. And I agree in oil. I would look at like Schlumberger, SLB. That looks like it's bottoming. Based on the uh, lack of anything financial in terms yeah. of what Scott said, I got to tell you something. I actually think that's that's being forgotten. I think that's going to be an opportunity. And trade has been very, very high. Our volumes in the derivatives markets are off the charts right now. All right. Check out some of our earnings movers as we head to break. We mentioned retail. Well, Nordstrom, it's getting crushed while Toll Brothers is volatile. We'll bring you the latest moves on those. Plus, Tesla shaking off the bears today after Morgan Stanley said the worst case scenario for the stock could send shares plunging to $10 a share. Look at that stock finishing basically flat. We've got all the details. And later, Meatless Mania has taken Wall Street oh. by storm as Beyond Meat soars more than 200% from its IPO. But is it everything <laughs> it's cracked up to be? Former Agriculture Secretary Dan Glickman offers uh, his thoughts on that. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Nordstrom plunging in the after-hour session. Courtney Reagan's in the newsroom with more. And these headlines, Courtney, from the conference call, they do not look good. Yeah, they don't, Melissa. Nordstrom put up a disappointing quarter. You mentioned it, but they missed on the top line. The bottom line, they lower their full-year guidance for sales and their earnings. So Nordstrom co-president Eric Nordstrom says that while the company thought some of that soft trends that they saw the prior quarter were going to continue, things actually got worse. We know we disappointed our customers and we own it. We've identified three factors that contributed to this sales mess. Loyalty, digital marketing, and merchandise. These areas are within our control to turn around and we're already taking steps to course correct and drive the top line. He went on to explain that part of its new Nordy Club loyalty program rollout eliminated physical mail that many customers, it turns out, count on in favor of their digital first strategy. So that hurt traffic. And then further compounding issues with the focus on that loyalty program rollout, the department store decided to spend less on digital marketing. That also led to lower traffic. Merchandise was the third issue they think was off in the quarter, both for the regular store and at the off-price Nordstrom Rack business. So the company is working on course correcting in areas like women's apparel and beauty, but they're saying on the call that could take some time. Gross margin also fell from last year and missed analysts' expectations. Nordstrom says it was primarily due to some planned markdowns to realign, to realign inventory. To get that in a better position, inventory was down more than 5%, but a lot of this, not a great quarter, Melissa, and shares down more than 8.5%. 
the marketing part of this, Courtney, caught me, and that is yeah. uh, they said that they pair, paired back on the mailing because people wanted digital, and they also cut back on the digital, and then traffic fell. Uh, I mean, they cut back all over the place. What do they expect was going to happen? Well, right, so what they were saying was they had this new Nordy Club uh, rollout, right? And so they used to physically mail uh, different you know, pieces of paper, notifications, discounts, this kind of thing to the members. So they decided, let's go with the digital first strategy. Well, when they did that, people that count on that mail didn't have it. And then, yeah, like you said, they also decided, well, we're spending so much time, energy, and effort on the on this, on this loyalty program. Let's lower our digital marketing spend. But that really did have an impact. At least they believe it did when it comes to traffic getting into the store. So they have a lot of things they got to correct here. But everything they've talked about so far on this call is self-inflicted. It's not yeah. a macroeconomic an environmental issue, at least not that they're pointing to at all. Yes. Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan in the newsroom, and Courtney hit it on the head. Would you belong it's to self-inflicted. the Nordy the Club? Club? Okay, so <laughs> I just want to know if you would join a club it's called the Nordy Club. It's the worst it's, name yeah, for a club you right. can find. It, it's too similar to nerdy. It, it, nerdy is hard to say. Well, it doesn't oh, sound right. Well, Mel, you it might is, join the Nerdy Club, too. But I'm I mean, probably I, a member you know, of the Nerdy Club. It's a compliment, Self-inflicted and not macro. Well, if you think about the existential issues that retail department stores department stores have faced, the fact that some of the areas where Macy's, which, by the way, is absolutely going to take a hit from these numbers as well uh, and is down in the after hours is, is a function of that they were actually getting their digital business uh, you know, and, and loyalty to a place where they were starting to compete and get people to, to have online traffic. The fact that the full margin uh, essentially you know, call this the cash cow of women's clothing is under pressure is the biggest concern here. And, and you know, so, yeah, nice to not be uh, dealing with secular issues, but if this management can't turn it around, it's well, they, I mean, they are de dealing with the secular disruption of retail that you talked about, right? And in, in this environment, you have to be on point. And it sounds like they just botched every single part of this strategy. My takeaway, and not to step on the Maxinista's toes over here, but it seems like there's going to be some bargains at TJ Maxx. There will getting be. Rid of inventory. There will be. Yeah. And you can also gauge that into some of the other apparels that they actually come in there. Uh -huh. I used to use this as my Under Armour kind of thermometer right, right. in terms of TJX. Yeah. But this really is the gang who can't shoot straight, right? I mean, we're talking about TJX. They're wrong in merchandise. They're wrong in digital. And oh, by the way, they're wrong in loyalty. I mean, holy smokes. You've, how do you miss on all three of those? I mean, it's almost impossible. That's why this stock's trading at its lows. They tried to take it private. Thank goodness for them they didn't because they'd be broke by now. I mean, this is really absolutely unbelievable. How they could miss on so many different categories, Mel, is shocking. TJX continues to be the place to be. All right, Mr. Maxinista. If not Nordstrom, Mark Tepper, in retail, where do you go? I, I hate to copy off you, Pete, but I'm going no. TJ Maxx as well, man. I love it. I think Maxx it's a great place. How about Ross Stores? Yeah. I mean, I'll just draw out yeah. another name just so we have another name out there. Ross yeah. Stores. Another one that executes well. Yeah, I mean, Marmax, you're looking at 6% year over year. On the positive side, I mean, Nordstrom just posted a negative 5.1% on their, on their full price stores. Um, Nordstrom, the biggest issue with them is their value prop over the course of the last several years has been this great customer experience, which is now completely irrelevant when nobody walks into the stores. All right. Nordy. Nordy. Nordy, 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 Nordy Club. Nordy. <laughs> For more on retail and the demise of the department stores, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast.
Water, pea protein isolate, expeller pressed canola oil, refined coconut oil. Investors have been feasting on Beyond Meat. But when you hear what one skeptic has to say about its ingredients, you might be second-guessing the meatless mania on Wall Street. Plus, the bears are out for Tesla. I was very sad to see that. Well, cheer up, Elon, because despite a bold call out today, the stock did see a big reversal, and it could be headed even higher. We will explain. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another wild day for Tesla. The stock down more than 4% at the lows of the session, but ending the day just slightly negative after a slew of bearish calls. Our Phil LeBeau is in Chicago with more. Phil. And Melissa, there are really three things that if you look at what's happened with Tesla over the last couple of weeks, all of these are kind of mixed together to weigh on Tesla shares. Let's start first off with analysts raising doubts. And Adam Jonas from Morgan Stanley, I know the $10 worst case scenario got a lot of attention, but he also brought up a number of concerns, especially with regard to sales possibilities or lack of possibilities in China. And that also plays into the second issue here, which is that there are people questioning the sales momentum, especially for the Model 3. And finally, have you noticed that Elon Musk has been silent? Yeah, he's still on Twitter, and sure, you can still hear from him occasionally, but certainly not like we did before the SEC settlement. And that's why when you take a look at shares of Tesla, in particular, over the last month, it's down 25%. And all of this factors into a time when people are increasingly saying, what's going on with Tesla, and why is this stock under pressure? And by the way, speaking of Elon Musk and the stock being under pressure, remember that he has a number of loans, three of them, that are backed with his Tesla shares as collateral. We're talking about 213 to Goldman Sachs, 209 to Morgan Stanley, and 85 million, a total of almost $507 million in personal loans that are collateralized with his Tesla shares. Guys, we don't know if or when there is a margin call on those loans, but if this stock goes lower and there is a margin call, that puts even more pressure on the stock. And the next potential catalyst for this stock, Phil, isn't until delivery numbers? Maybe. And that's five weeks away, Melissa. Yeah. Five weeks. And that means a lot of people are going to put stuff out on social media. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we'd hear from Elon Musk. Sure. We're not going to hear from him the way we used to. Right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Even when we hear from Elon Musk, it doesn't do too much to the stock anymore. He could tweet all about autonomous taxis, et cetera, and it doesn't right. do much for the stock. Here we are. We're in a situation, though, where it seems like we did a segment last week on Tesla, and we said in the past month alone, there have been 12 price target cuts on Wall Street. This week, there are two bullish analysts laying out some very bearish scenarios for the stock. The stock today finished flat. Is there something to be read into that, or is this just an up day, relatively up day? Just maybe from Tesla. the pounding that it's already taken. I mean, we've watched Danny Ives finally throw in the towel. We've watched one right after the other. The only criticism I've, I'd have of Adam Jonas, other than saying $10 instead of some other number. I mean, that was a number to get yourself in front of everybody. But So that's okay. I mean, we all kind of realize what, what happened here when you put down that kind of a bare scenario. But his base case, if things are as bad as they are, and it seems to be that he's leaning on that direction, why is his price target still 230 That he didn't touch. 
So that, that part's a little bit concerning to me. I don't understand why I wouldn't cut that down to maybe 200, something, something closer to where it is, Tim, right now. Why would you leave that at 230 if all of these other metrics you don't like you seem to be turning more and more bearish? Why wouldn't that price target come down further? I yeah. think that's an interesting point because if you, <clears throat> if you want to try and do a risk-reward, he's saying base case is 230, bull case is 391, and then bear case is $10. I mean, so, I just, got all the bases covered. It's a, it's a <laughs> wild ride here that well, you're in yeah. for but, if you but, believe this. Isn't, isn't he right to give scenario analysis oh, for a company that, that that is all over the map? And and certainly the, the bulls are out there saying this this basis this this makes a lot of sense. And bears are saying otherwise. By the way, you know at, at a ten dollar price, you've got a fifteen billion EV um, with a company that that doesn't make it through it because obviously there's there's a lot of off balance sheet liabilities. So um, I, I just think that it's interesting that the street um, everybody um, I, I would say the investment community is more bearish than ever on Tesla now that it's down one hundred and eighty bucks in six. <laughs> Months. Yeah. How, how is that? Yeah. Um, now, I, I realize that there's been a cascade of bad news. And, and the irony here is that the company has raised $2.7 billion and gives them a few months to fight, frankly, especially sure. as we heard the numbers. Based upon the first quarter's cash burn rate, um, they can go another 10 months. And I actually think that they will go longer down the road. But I, I just think if you're a shareholder of Tesla right now, you would want this company to restructure thoughtfully rather than all the convoluted ways I think are happening right now anyway, um, because there's a ton of value. There's a ton of intrinsic value. There's a ton of things there. But I think the longer we play this game, the more I think you're 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 basically winding value out of the out of the company. I, I think the narrative here has changed, right? So when this thing was running up to 370 plus a share, the narrative was innovation. They were winning through innovation. Right now, the narrative is survival. And I don't know what the next positive catalyst is. It's not going to be deliveries. I mean, that guidance is so out of line. There's no way they're going to hit their numbers. And quite frankly, they really don't deserve that ludicrous mode valuation that they're they're trading at still as of today. And what do the bonds tell us? The 2025 Ooh, right. bonds hit a new low after that. Yielding cap- 9% after today. The capital right. raise. Yeah. Exactly. So this this entire valuation, and Tim has, has nailed this thing, that it's, it's a faith-based valuation. As long as you believe that Elon Musk was going to be able to pull around it out of his hat, then everything worked and everything was fine. But now all of a sudden he stumbles a bit, he can't speak, they, the execution maybe stumbles a bit, then you actually have to look at reality of this company. And I think that's what Adam Jonas was getting at with his $10 price target, that let's look at the reality of everything goes wrong, that's probably the level. For me, I, you know, I like to see people starting getting bearish. To me, that's a sign that there's some capi- capitulation. So somewhere around here, maybe even as low as 150, I'd think about picking some up. Wow, 150. All right. Meantime, in the options market, the Tesla bears are out in full force. One trader just spent more than a million dollars against the company. Mike goes in San Francisco with the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, you know, I think some of the action actually speaks to what BK was just talking about. You know, if we take a look at the short interest in Tesla, that's fairly close to its all-time highs. If we take a look at the open interest in puts right now, that's mildly off of its all-time highs, about 1.3 million open put contracts right now. Today, we actually saw a pretty big diagonal put spread in Tesla. Somebody traded the June 210, May 31st weekly 185 put spread 5,000 times. And what they were actually doing was taking profits on a bearish bet they made last week, selling those 210 puts at a very handsome profit and then taking a portion of those profits and buying the 185 puts that expire a week from this coming Friday. They spent $2.45 a contract for that. That's how you got to that approximately million dollars in premium. But we should bear in mind that these guys made about $8 million in profits on the puts that they bought last week due to the stock's decline. And one quick point I would make about the fundamentals here, you know, I'm on Tesla's emailing list because it is a car that my wife has indicated she wants to buy. 
And right now, the weight, the delivery weight for a Model 3, if I order one right now, I'm holding actually up the order page, is within two weeks. That doesn't seem like a car with overwhelming demand, and we did see Model S and X deliveries drop. So the real question people need to ask themselves is whether they're going to hit that $400,000 vehicles delivered number for the full year, I think. All right. I like that my wife has indicated that she wants to buy. Yeah. And Mike, I'd, I'd indicate like I'd want one, too. Yeah. <laughs> Will you buy me one? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, Meatless Mania taking Wall Street by storm. But what is really inside these beefless? Burgers. Former Agriculture Secretary Dan Glickman will be here to explain. Plus, oh snap, the social media stock soaring today and adding to a triple digit gain this year. We'll tell you what's behind the move and debate whether there's more to come. Much more fast money in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Snap topping the tape today, soaring more than 3% after the company announced a new CFO and chief people officer, two executive spots that have been vacant since January. This all part of CEO Evan Spiegel's attempt to revamp the social media company, whose stock has more than doubled this year. It's also gotten some attention over the last week after launching a new gender swap filter. Now, sparking a new mobile messaging app. So, of course, we had to try for ourselves. Scary. Um, is this all enough for investors to jump back? And, that oh. was me. That's me. Jump back into the stock. Um, oh, my I goodness. I apologize in advance to all the viewers out there who might be disturbed by this video. We didn't yeah. have to actually do that. I'm disturbed by so I understand you can't oh. see things. Um, but stuff like this, this stuff causes... Buzz. Wow, it man. does. It does. Mark, but wow. the, the issue. I mean, the, fil- the filters. <laughs> That's all are, I can say. The filters are unique. You know, a lot of people are using You're them. You're a good-looking woman, Mark. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so <laughs> the, the issue is monetization, right? I mean, these things you just. No matter how cool the filters might be, and you know, I'm not saying I like them or dislike them, but you, you just can't monetize them. And that's been the issue with Snapchat. Uh, you know, they're doing great in that 13 to 34 demographic. They're struggling in the 35 plus. I think they could get a, a heck of a lot more advertisers involved if they could grab that demographic, but they're struggling there. But doesn't this cause stickiness amongst its user base? Doesn't it cause people maybe to do? I mean, they had that they had dancing it. hot no dog question. before that helped them. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I love, I love dancing with <laughs> hot dogs. But, Who doesn't? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the bottom line is I think you're right. In terms of their user base, this is, this is an interesting demographic. It's certainly a very sticky one. But to this point, it has not been a landslide in terms of monetization. And, and the growth is just not there for the multiple. Um, so I, I have to say that I, I don't like to put filters on that turn me, you know, into women. <laughs> into women. You're um, not bad looking either. Well, as a, I appreciate as a that. Very, I would fine. say the monetization is obviously the story. And that's been the story since day one. They had Zippo early on. This last quarter, they actually kind of impressed me a little bit, and it made me start to look at them once again because this was a stock I flipped day one on IPO. I mean, this was no way would I want to hold it because how are they going to make money? The problem is that demographic hates ads. So yeah. The, yeah. the whole thing comes down to can you slip in the ads yeah. and make this thing work and monetize something out of it? I think they're starting to make a little headway. But you still want to be in Facebook. You'd still rather be in Twitter, in my opinion, over this name. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Snap to me, I understand they're trying to get this network effect going. To me, I don't use the product. I, maybe you can make a case that it's a way to play augmented reality, but I think that's a flimsy case. If you're thinking social, think Twitter. 
I mean, they've been killing it on all sectors. You're coming into a presidential election, which, the, which Twitter will be absolutely front and center. It's the best place to be in the social space, in my view. All right, coming up, Beyond Meat soaring more than 200% and wowing Wall Street since its public debut. But former Agriculture Secretary Dan Glickman says it may not be all that it's cracked up to be. He'll be here to tell us why he's got beef with meatless alternatives. Oh, oh I get that. Wall That's Street. funny. Check out Bitcoin back above 8,000 of more than 100% this <laughs> you year. Are. Bitcoin baller himself, BK here, says it could be gearing up for another leg higher. That's all after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Beyond Meat phenomenon is continuing as the stock soars a whopping 200% since its IPO earlier this month. But are investors too hungry for this mystery meat, especially when they don't know exactly what's in it? Let's bring in Dan Glickman, executive director of the Aspen Institute's congressional program and a former U.S. agriculture secretary. He co-authored an op-ed in the New York Times on nutrition earlier this year. Dan, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, there is this craze about alternative meats out there right now. Do we know if it's better for you? Well, we're not sure, but it gives the consumers some choice that many would like to have. There are many vegetarians out there. Many people would like to vary their diets, some plant-based meat, some regular meat. Uh, so I think it's good that it's out there. I think it's safe. Uh, one of my points is, is that we can't really market it, however, it's necessarily better for you because we don't know, because we have a lack of nutrition science in this country that's a part of our medical system. So some people eat it. It certainly won't hurt you. It can be very tasty, but it doesn't mean it's better for you. Okay. So is there any research being done to, to act, because this seems like a growing fad. It seems like, I don't want to say fad, it's a growing trend, let's say. More and more people are looking at meat alternatives right now. Is there research being done to say, you know what, this is, in fact, better for you? Or is this something that right now we just have to live with not knowing? Well, I think we know enough to know that it's healthy, and we know that it has some protein in it. But as a general rule, apart from the plant-based meat, we do not know enough about what's in our food. There's an old expression, you are what you eat. But nutrition has never been a serious study of science in the National Institutes of Health. We study major diseases like heart disease, cancer, arthritis, Alzheimer's, but we don't do enough study in how you can prevent disease from happening. And food is a big part of that. So while I, I certainly support plant-based meat, but I don't think anybody should look at that as the nirvana or the only solution to the problem. We need to look at this across the board to try to help people make intelligent food choices based on good science. We were just showing, Dan, the ingredient list for Beyond Meat, and, and we don't mean to pick on Beyond Meat. It's a fine product, but it is, and it was a hot IPO coming out of the gate. Water, pea protein, isolate, canola oil, refined coconut oil, cellulose from bamboo, methyl cellulose. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Do you think that the federal government should spend more money investigating, putting the research behind foods like this, especially as we move into this sort of time when people want these alternatives? I think the federal government should spend a lot more money and effort investigating the science of nutrition generally. A lot of folks are very confused about what's good for you. We change all the time. Should you drink whole fat milk or low fat milk? And there's certainly a lot of people who worry about meat for a lot of reasons, including environmental issues. But meat is a very important part of the diet. 
plant-based meat does provide some protein in there. You've got uh, pea additives and other things that are legumes that add protein to your diet. But whether it's better for you than meat is, is really something we just really don't know yet. We do know it's safe. And mm -hmm. those consumers who are veg vegetarians will probably go that route. So it's different strokes for different folks. That's the great thing about the food industry today. There are all sorts of options out there. It's just that we need to do more research to figure out what is really good for you. All right. Dan, thank you so much. We You're appreciate welcome. it. Dan Glickman. All right. This is a fascinating conversation. It's not a conversation we normally have, but I think this is important to understanding whether or not Beyond Meat or Impossible, if it comes down the pipeline later on, is viable. And the important point here is that we do not know if these substitutes are better for you. Well, what, what we do know is that there's there certainly could be some arguments as it relates to cholesterol and, and sure. some some aspects of meat that I think people can can clearly identify. But but absolutely. And bringing it back to the market, um, what's clear is that people are willing to pay. And I mean, uh, in, in a market multiple for companies that seem to be in the healthful kind of forefront. And I go right to CMG or a company that, you know, you know, really ultimately, I don't think CMG is doing anything all that different than a lot of other brands out there that are understanding that people want a different kind of fast casual. Um, but the multiple that they're able to demand, and, and frankly, um, even Shake Shack. Um, look at Shake Shack, which, which seemed to be a lot of hype come out of the gates and that there's no way they could grow into that multiple. The stock still trades at 100 times because actually their growth continues to be a function of better quality products, even in fast food. Well, I'll tell you, the growth on this is what the amazing part is. I mean, they ha every day you see a new commercial that they're doing this Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger at some place, and you can't get the product. So whether it's good for you or not so good for you, we know that it's probably not worse than meat, and people want it. Demand for the product is there. They can't keep it on the shelves, and that's why I think Beyond has done so well. People are getting tricked into the idea that it absolutely is better for you, though. Is it? We don't know. Mr. Glickman was saying that. He goes, hey, maybe it is, but we, we really the just don't know yet. So because of that, I go for taste, man. Give me Jack in the Box. Yeah. Yeah. Give me Jack. Give me a go great meal. Jack in the Box. In the I thought you were going to say a ribeye. I mean, well, you know. Jack, give me no, if you're Jack going, in the Box. If you're going sort of in the, in the fast food okay. world, you're All traveling right. around. Yeah, but these but, things but, are delicious. Have they, you had them? Have you had a Jack? Jump in, oh, oh, I've had good. a but Jack in the Box. It's delicious. I think they're fantastic. i this over fast food. All right, coming up. Bitcoin on a wild ride this year, now at more than 100%. Our crypto baller, BK, will lay out what is behind this rally and the next big catalyst that could take it higher. You won't want to miss it. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin gone wild this year with the crypto coin now at more than 100% after crashing from its all-time high back of 20K back in 2017. Despite surging 52% in a month, Bitcoin now appears stuck at the 8K level as investors wonder what the next big driver could be. Who better to break it down than our very own Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly? What could it be, Brian? Well, there's a couple things going on. So let's break down what has what the market has been to anticipating. First of all, you're starting to get that long-waited-for institutional adoption. Fidelity is rolling out institutional custody. They're getting customers. People are starting to buy institutions. Retail anticipation. We saw from TD Ameritrade. They invested in Erisax. They're going to start opening crypto trading, Bitcoin trading to their retail customers over the coming months, perhaps three to six months or so. People are anticipating that. But the big picture here is we're starting to enter this cycle where you get a supply cut. Every four years, the supply of Bitcoin gets cut in half. You generally have a rally a year into it. 
and a year out of it. And so we're just at the beginning of that stage. So you've got this combination of a lot of demand coming in and we're heading into a period where we're going to have supply cut and that's generally very bullish for it. The one last thing I would add, just as a PSA, while we're down at these levels, please size this appropriately. It's a risky thing. One to percent of five port, one to five percent of your portfolio, and when it goes higher and you buy it at the top, don't tell BK that I bought too much. Buy it here. That's called that. Is it called the happening? Also, it's called the happening. Right. Why is that so, happening? It, so the software itself, every four years, will cut the mining rewards in half. That's how the software is designed. So that's what you've seen in 2012, 2016, and now coming up in May so of 2020. The miners reporting it. The miners. In into, so and of- right. So now I've talked to a lot of miners around the world. A lot of them have said we've sold enough Bitcoin to get us through the next year or so. We are going to hoard Bitcoin at this point in time. We're not going to sell it, and that supply is going to get cut in half. So it's just real simple economics, right? Lots of demand hitting little supply. Price goes higher. All right. Up next, final trades. Ooh, doggy. It is time now for the final trade. Pete Najarian. You know, every once in a while you come across a story. Today I came across a story, an upgrade of Deckers. And, but you know what? I read through this very carefully. This thing is going higher. It's cheap, great gross margins. I like it. I think it's going higher. Giddy up. BK. Yeah, they make those fantastic sandals, I think. Yeah, they right? do. Yeah. Tava, Uggs, the whole those thing. Those things Sandals? Those Tavas are ugly. I'm you just going to say them, No, I don't love them. You're I don't like sandals. I don't your think final my final trade is Twitter. That you should buy that one and not the dumb sandals. We're only up against <laughs> the clock here. Are no good. big deal. Mark Tepper. DR Horton. There's a shortage of affordable homes on the market right now, and DR Horton has the solution. They'll build them. Love it. Tim Seymour. Oh, we got a big barbecue weekend. Are you going to be throwing some almost meat on the grill? I'm a, <laughs> I'm a regular meat, not an alt meat you know, kind of girl, but I respect the alt meat. All right. So when you're grilling your Beyond Meat or your steaks, drink some Corona's Constellation brand. Nice. All right. That's nice. it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.